Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We are back. Welcome to another special edition of Believe in the Pac-12 football style on the Believe Podcast Network along with ESPN's Ryan Leaf. My name is Jonathan Rifkind. Delighted to be with you. We have a full show for you today. We're going to talk about USC's defensive coordinator position. We'll get into the new 2020 conference schedule that was dropped. We'll talk about Antonio Brown a little bit just because I think Ryan has some insights that you won't hear from anybody else. And we will also have a special guest, the new head coach of Washington State football, Nick Rolovich, will join the show at the end. A packed show for you today, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we should start, though, with USC and their defensive coordinator position. Clancy Pendergast has been let go. There was conversations about all sorts of different names being thrown into the ring. And finally, two days ago, Todd Orlando the former defensive coordinator at Texas. His name emerged. He was signed by Texas Tech. They confirmed that he is no longer with the program. But since then, we haven't heard much from USC side of things, Ryan. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I haven't heard much from the fan base either. A a guy that I think was forcefully let go. I don't think Tom Herman wanted to let him go at Texas, but they did give up a lot of points this year. Uh, But I think there was some strong pressure from boosters and alumni that that, kind of forced – forced his hand in, in both the offensive and defensive coordinator positions. And then for USC to go out and find it, a lot of people feel that Todd, that Todd Orlando is, a, is a, a great fit at, at USC and his ability to turn things around in a hurry because that's what they need quickly. But for me, I'm, I, wasn't, you know, I wasn't thrilled with it. I, I know every coach probably in their lifetime has been fired. John Gruden just got $10 million a year from the Oakland Raiders and was fired from his job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? So – you, you were probably going to hire a fired coach at some point. I would have just liked them to go out and find a sitting guy. Try to, to try to use your blue blood-ism, I guess, to go out and find a really good guy at, at a bigger school and see if you could pull him. I mean, Alex Grinch from Oklahoma would have been a great fit to try to get a situation like, like that. So with them doing this, it's not a huge win for me, I think. It's kind of just like blah, but that might be might be okay. That might be good enough. We'll see. Um, but for the most part, it seems coming out of that camp that they're excited for the addition of Orlando and, and what they'll be able to bring to the defense this season. And sort of a yin and a yang thing, because if you remember, Coach Kingsbury over at Arizona was an offensive coordinator at USC after leaving Texas Tech uh, for all of two days before leaving. Todd Orlando was at Texas Tech for two weeks before leaving. Again, it's not official, but through the whispers, uh, the former Houston, Utah State, FIU, and Texas defensive coordinator will be a Trojan here soon. It's going to be interesting. You mentioned the blue bloodness. USC needs that. They need it back. Uh, I made the bold prediction last week on our podcast that ASU was going to win the South. Uh, they weren't, aren't going to be the best team in the Pac-12, but I think that they have the talent to really upset some of these teams, including USC and Utah. 
USC needs to find a way to get back. Um, and we'll get into the whole UCLA conundrum another time with the 17 players that they have transferring. But it's really up to USC right now. And I don't know if Todd Orlando gets the job done. What do they need to do outside of this? I mean, they're keeping their Graham Harrell. He's not leaving to go to, to the Eagles. They re-signed Clay Helton or they retained Clay Helton. I mean, they're bringing in Orlando. But is this enough to make USC... The, the perennial powerhouse that we remember USC as. Well, I mean, that's that's the problem. Everybody remembers the perennial powerhouse of the Pete Carroll era, right? He's set expectations so high that uh, living up to it is impossible. It just has been. You know, you've tried to use Pete Carroll disciples and, and Lane Kiffin and, and Steve Scarzizian, but neither one of them worked, right? And now they're in a position where they have some stability at the coaching job, and that's the reason why he still has the job, because Mike Bone just did not know who he was going to go to. And if he had no idea what he was going to do, he wasn't going to put a placeholder in there for one year, at least go with somebody who had some consistency, who got him to a, an 8-4 and four position a year ago with going through three different quarterbacks, all the injuries that existed, and the constant pressure from the fan base and people about his job all year long. I thought it was probably his best year coaching. He's going to have to have something very similar, but... If he has his best year coaching and they end up, uh, you know, eight and four again, that that can win them the South. That can easily win them the South, but it's not going to win them a championship. And it most likely continues to play into the fact that I believe that he's a lame duck coach, which means Graham Harrell's out, which means Todd Orlando's going to be out after one year anyway. So this is essentially a little bit of a placeholder, um, uh, but one that Mike Bone knows and understands, and the players know and understand, and they can get through with a. A winning season and not another five and seven season, I think, is is the one they're they're trying to avoid because he's going to have to have a new head coach in place a year from now, and and uh, I don't know who that's going to be, but it's going to have to be a big splash for some of these donors and some of these uh, alumni that are begging for it. USC in a bit of purgatory right now with football. We'll see how that goes. Before we get into uh, the Pac-12 2020 conference schedule that just dropped, let's talk about sleep. We need eight hours of sleep a night straight up. One of the Biggest problems with sleep is temperature. It's tough to get a good sleep if you're too hot or too cold. It's our pleasure to introduce the Pod by 8 Sleep. The Pod is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, but your partner likes the bed warm... Now you can have both at the same time and in a crazy comfortable bed. For the next week, get $200 off your pod and a free gravity blanket for a total value of $500 only at 8sleep.com slash pro. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro. So this is sort of my favorite time of the year on Twitter because every single beat writer for every single Pac-12 team firmly believes that their team has the hardest conference slate. And they will go to battle with, with each other on Twitter trying to make their case why Cal or why Oregon or why Arizona has the toughest Pac-12 conference slate. And then they go and they try to justify it. Oh, we have this road game and then we have this Thursday game and this Friday game. And it's like, well, you know what? Every team sort of has that. The toughest games are the games that you schedule at a conference because they do a pretty good job, I think, balancing the conference schedule. And obviously, USC opens up against Alabama down in Dallas. Oregon has Ohio State in the second week of the season uh, in Eugene. There are some really, really big games. Arizona going to Texas Tech, you can take that how you want. Oregon State going to to uh, Oklahoma State. But I think that the conference schedule this year, there's some really interesting games. Um, and, and the way that the contracts work nationally, they actually have 45 games nationally televised 
next year for the Pac-12, which is big, which I think will start moving the Pac-12 into a direction where they can finally sell the rights to the conference to a network and get a little bit more coverage. I think the 45 games in the upcoming year are more um, than this past year because I think they only had 35 games. Do you see this exposure as perpetuating a positive outlook nationally for the conference? Well, I mean, it all depends on if they have somebody, uh, you know, competing in the national championship conversation. I mean, that's going to do it. Utah and the conference was relevant. Oregon was relevant until they lose to Arizona State, until Utah loses to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. They were right there. They were in the, the college football playoff if Utah wins that game. If Arizona State doesn't upset Oregon, Oregon's in there. So people forget, and, and I know for three years consecutively the conference hasn't been in that. Uh, the content that's getting out is, is limited, but to your point, it still gets plenty of national televised TV games. Though, the question is when are they played? And that's why the 9 a.m. conversation has been so right. prevalent early on again. Larry Scott talked about a midseason. Of course, it was br- uh, brought to uh, a topic again here since the season has ended. Some teams are certainly not in favor of it. Uh, others are. You know, others I think like Utah and, and, and I know UCLA and, and Chip Kelly are because they practice so early. Uh, for them, it's not a big deal. And I don't believe it would be a big deal. It's not like we're asking these games to be played every week. But what Fox was able to bring to the table this year with their early morning uh, college game day-like show, it's only an hour long, so it's not as hard to produce or, or put together like what college game day for ESPN right. does, which is really, really special. You know, they were followed well, and that led into what they called the big noon kickoff. And they had a lot of great games, but it almost seemed like it was the, you know, the Ohio State Buckeye Network. It was almost like Longhorn Network for the Buckeyes in terms of, because they were the best team and they played the best games, and and they had some really great ones that uh, Joe Klatt and Gus Johnson got to go out and call, and they were the noon kickoff game, and everybody watched them. Now, if you throw a Pac-12 team in there, like you put a uh, Utah-Washington game at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Uh, mountain Time at Utah on that first on that Fox game at, at noon. There's going to be a lot more eyeballs on it. It's just the bottom line. More eyeballs, more people talking about your product, period. And that's just not happening right now. Even though you have 45, you talked about, nationally televised games, uh, if they're on at 8.30 uh, Pacific, which is 11.30 Eastern, right, no one's watching them. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time the last year on the East Coast, and I tried. I tried to stay up. It's not a bias. I mean, they'd love to watch the games. I'm sure they would. They just can't stay up and do it. You, right. I couldn't, you know. Luckily for me, Washington State beat Arizona so bad. It was like 63-7 to 7 at halftime. I could go to bed at midnight or 1230. And then that, that's the problem. It really is. It's not a bias so much as it is. It's just a time zone issue. And if you can put your product out there differently, I called the, the Ole Miss-Cal game earlier this year. It was a 9 a.m. Pacific kickoff. And guess what? It was on ESPNU. But a lot of people saw it, and it was an exciting football game, and it put uh, Cal into the top 25 because of that win. I think that people really do like waking up. I mean, I wake up at 8 o'clock to watch the early game, so why am I not going to have a second screen or, or flipping back to a 9 a.m. Pac-12 game? Also, you have an entire slate of football on Saturday that you care about, and then on Sunday you have Red Zone and you're watching eight hours of football. That seems to be the direction that all of this is going anyways. So it, it only makes – I'm in support of it. I know that there are players out there, coaches out there that aren't. I'm with you, Ryan. I think it's it's not a bad idea. I want to get into this FCS scheduling conversation. Um, where do you stand with this? Because I'm looking at this schedule right now. There are a lot. And I'm going to say North Dakota State may be an exception. I know they're going to Eugene 16-0 last year, FCS champs. Uh, we know they're perennial powerhouse. But, I mean, where do you stand? Northern Arizona at Arizona State. Montana State um, is playing at Cal. William and Mary is traveling all the way from Pennsylvania to play Stanford. Where do you see – I mean, are, is there a point when we get 
or that we may get to where we say, you know what, it's time to stop scheduling these FCS teams. I mean, I don't, I don't think they should be scheduled. Um, you're not, you're not gaining any points scheduling NDSU because if you beat them, you're supposed to beat them. If you lose to them, I mean, which is a real possibility because they're the best at the next level. Uh, I, I don't get it, right? Um, the continuation of this, I think, does nothing for them. What it has done is it, it keeps the FCS afloat because of the amount of money that that is procured by those FCS opponents. Okay, and I, I, I talked to Jimbo Fisher about it this year when I was calling one of his games. He had a really different take about. It. He said like. You know, if if the SCS doesn't exist, like football's going to go away. Like it, it's a domino effect because uh, you're not going to produce the players that you're going to go to. Because if you're only going to produce the ones that go to Division One schools, football starts going away because the other right. kids aren't aren't going to continue to play. Because where are they going to go? They may not be talented enough to go to Division One, but there's a there's a pool for Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA. There's there's pools of players there, and you start removing them from the equation, then high school football goes away. Because you can't feel the team. So he had a really good point in that. And then he, he says he does feel a, a, a bit of a responsibility as a Division One coach to keep the FCS afloat by those large paydays and things like that. And it's an allowed, allowance for them to, to, to get better and, and, and almost practice. Now, as a fan, you don't want to see it because I don't want to watch that game. I don't want to watch Alabama and the Citadel in Week 11. You know, I want to watch... You know, Alabama Auburn then, right. or, or Alabama Georgia or something like that in that, in that moment. That's what we want to see. As head coaches, you you like the reprieve, but for a fan base, which is a big reason behind the 9 a.m. conversation, right? The reason they are not willing to do this because of the fan base. Well, if you're thinking about the fans, then you got to think about the fans and not so much about what what you're doing. And and I would love to see a, a you know you play all your conference opponents as well as uh, uh, a non-conference Power Five opponent. That's the way I'd like to ultimately see it done. Play 11 games. Um, you know, you play nine or ten conference opponents in a in a non-conference Power Five opponent, and, and I think that's the way schedules would be. But uh, I see USC is currently trying to get out of one that they, they scheduled a year ago because they they are one of three teams in the country who have never played an FCS opponent: uh, Notre Dame, USC, and I can't remember who the uh, the third one is. But they want to keep that streak alive, and. Uh, you know that's that, that's that's saying something when you haven't played an FCS opponent. Nine FCS opponents, and I believe UCLA is the other one. Yeah, USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame. Um, nine FCS opponents will make their way to a Pac-12 school in the first three weeks. That's a lot. Um, and and we talk about conference perception all the time. Yeah, like you said, as a fan, you don't really want to see it. And if there's a bad loss, I mean. I think that what was it? A couple years ago, there was there's there's been some upsets. There's been some upsets. Um, of course, Jacksonville State over Auburn was one of the biggest ones back in 2014. But I agree with you. I think that there's there's a purpose for it. If they separate the group of five and the power of five, I think FCS is is doomed. Um, and that's why I think that conversation makes it a little bit harder. But anyways, it's going to be an interesting 2020. Uh, like I said, a lot of FCS games, but a lot of really good games. Auburn or Alabama, USC down at Jerry World. I was there the last time when USC just got absolutely manhandled by Alabama. Um, Oregon hosts Ohio State in a home-and-home. They play next year, of course, Notre Dame, USC, Notre Dame, Stanford, the other marquee games in the Pac-12 non-conference schedule as well. Check out the Pac-12 website for the complete slate week by week of what you can expect. Um starting in August with Hawaii at Arizona. Rather, yeah, Hawaii at Arizona and 
ending with uh, Oregon, Oregon State on November 28th. Crazy that we're already talking about this. We have to take one more break before we get into a separate conversation about Antonio Brown and then uh, head coach Nick Rolovich from Washington State will join us. Want to make a bet on the Super Bowl? Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. MyBookie is one of the most trusted sports books in the industry. My roommate, Keith, is fully addicted to sports betting. The great thing about him, though, is that he actually wins money. And he does it because he's consistent, he pays attention, but also because he bets with MyBookie. So do the right thing. Be like Keith and go to mybookie.ag. If football is not your thing, no worries. MyBookie's got it all from the NBA to the Premier League. You a soccer guy, Ryan? You ever pay attention to soccer Let's at all? put it this way. Uh, the only way you can get me to watch uh, soccer, in, w- in which I watched the World Cup, is when I was in prison. So I <laughs> had to be a, literally a uh, captured audience to, to, to watch that. All right, there you go. So if you are in prison, prison and you want to bet on the Premier League, head over to mybookie.ag. MyBookie has the fastest payouts, best promotions, and a very helpful 24-hour, seven-day-a-week customer service team. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code Believe BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code Believe BLV to get extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid. I want to start off this this segment. Have you seen the Aaron Hernandez documentary yet or the miniseries? Uh, yeah, I watched it on a plane ride back from Bristol uh, this last week. So there's been there's two sides to this conversation, and this sort of transitions into what I'm going to bring up. A lot of people are saying it was you know, the storyline was really really good, but the focus was more placing the blame on CTE than on the fact that he could just be an a hole or his upbringing attributing to his lifestyle. Um, and other sides saying obviously that you know CTE did play a big part in him acting the way he was. Where do you stand on the whole football players, whether they're in the pros or after the pros, sort of falling off the wagon, and, and how does where CT comes into this conversation? Well, it's a huge part of the conversation because look at his brain when they studied it. Right. It was absolutely compromised. So you're not dealing with a, a, an individual who's um, you know, working on the same level as everybody else. There was a terrible mental health disorder going on, and that stemmed from all the trauma to his head plus the trauma that probably existed outside of it. Now, that doesn't stop you from dealing with situations in a positive and healthy way and, 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 and getting the help that you need. And I think uh, the best way to put this is that um, uh, until we have more science data behind it, uh, you got to believe that anybody who's played the sport of football is dealing with some sort of some trauma uh and i believe i'm i'm living with cte and and the reason why i've been successful living with it is because uh of my addiction my addiction forced me to be uh you know confronted uh intervened with and consequences placed on me to either make a decision to to change uh and and seek out positive and healthy uh, ways to live your life uh, or you go in the opposite direction. And those who are unwilling to do it have taken their own lives, uh, have gotten themselves in terrible trouble and acted er- er- erratically in, in, in a complete and crazy fashion. You'd think you get paid $40 million, you wouldn't be out uh, you know, killing people. That's, that's the rational thought process in all this. But guess what? He wasn't a rational person. His head had been beaten into submission where he couldn't function. It was being strangled. 
and he was paranoid and he didn't help and contribute because he kept using substances of abuse and all of that. So for him, it's a sad, sad story. And unfortunately, uh, there's many stories like it in terms of maybe not as far-reaching where so many other people were damaged and hurt because of it, but families of those who uh, are unwilling to ask for help and, and seek the help that they need. Junior Sale, my former teammate, being one of them, right? I mean, the guy shot himself in the chest because he uh, thought it was the only answer. He wanted he wanted people to know that there was a reason why he had had really, you know, fell apart the last few years, but he wasn't willing to actually show people why that was and what a a wonderful mentor or or individual to share that story uh, he would have been because of his success at the NFL level. My case is I wasn't a successful NFL player. So uh, it's my reach has been different, but it also probably saved my life because maybe uh, I was finally willing to show people who I really was and I didn't consider it weakness anymore where the, the likes of Andre Waters and Dave Dewerson and, and – and uh, and Junior Seau and 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 Al, you know um, and Aaron Hernandez and all of these individuals that that have played our sport uh, continue to die from. And that's why I think 13 years from now, when my kids eligible to play football with a helmet, it's going to look entirely different. And if you can't walk away from that thing uh, and look that that football has had a, a very detrimental um, effect on our culture and on our players then you're wearing blinders to it. You simply don't want to look at it. Uh, you, There are many different factors that come into it, but uh, the bottom line is, like, you know, when it was all said and done, his brain was terribly damaged. I mean, incredibly damaged. That of, uh, just look at Tyler Holinsky from my alma mater, right? They studied his brain after his suicide over two years ago, and they found him to have, like, second-stage CTE. Which yeah, they was the, the brain of a 65-year-old. So if that's the case... Uh, and this is contributing to the death of our, of our young adults and, and people who could live these these full lives. Uh, yeah, you have to take a look at it. I'm I'm not the guy who's railing against no football, no football, no football. Make it as safe as possible, and also educate the individuals who are playing. My son's going to be educated, and we're going to give him the option, and we're going to give him all the information, and then it's going to be his choice whether he wants to do it or not. Because I'm so grateful for for having played football. You know, I'm living with maybe some of the pre, uh, the consequences to that, uh, with a traumatic brain disorder, and uh, it's something that we truly won't be able to see until after death. But we know what the symptoms look like now. We really do. There's been enough uh, individuals who've dealt with this, and we know what the symptoms look like. And I definitely was living with it with the symptoms that I had. And the, and then it comes down to the choices you make ultimately. And so if people want to rail against one thing or the other, he made those choices still. It's not that black and white. You can't blame it on CTE. Right. You know, you can say it was a contributing factor, yes, but he still chose to make these decisions. Right. He didn't go seek help. He chose to continue to smoke marijuana because that was his way of dealing with it, doing other drugs. That's the way he self-medicated. It's what I did for the longest time. I continued to use that and self-medicate rather than seeking the help that I needed, and it almost cost me my life. And it is doing that to a lot of people. But I think there's a solution. I think there's a reasonable way to go about it. I don't want uh, the NFL, and I don't want collegiate football. I don't want high school football. I don't want them all to run around and put their heads in the sand and not go, it's not us, it's not us, it's them. It's their choices they're making. Yeah, that's part of it. But it's also with because of the, the, the violence of this game and the brain injury that's resulting from it. When you see the downfall of Antonio Brown, and we don't have to go through the entire process of <laughs> what happened in, you know, from getting released by the Raiders, picked up by the Patriots, you know, played one game, 
um, it's all the way up until yesterday when he has a felony worst, uh, a felony arrest warrant because of a battery case that he currently is uh, about to be charged with. And then about two hours ago, his wife uh, filed for sole custody of the three kids. When you see the downfall of Antonio Brown, you know, what do you – do you think that there's a part of it that came from the trauma of playing football, or do you think that this is – who Antonio Brown is? Well, I think it's a contributing factor. There, there probably is. I mean, he's, you know, I, I do think that anybody's played until there's enough data for us to look at. And I'm not just talking about NFL players, but I'm talking about let's say uh, a player that only played in high school and he dies really young. I mean, Tyler Holinsky might be the closest version of that. He played a couple years of college yeah. football, but I mean, this this could be attributable attributed to any kind of football being played, any kind of soccer being played, any kind of hockey being played, regardless of of age. Right, I think a lot of it being attributed to NFL football, but that's at the full end of the spectrum where you've played a ton. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some effect to it, but there's also this um, self-entitlement and self-importance that exists when you have a lot of money. And it, the same thing hit me. You know, I, I thought uh, success was money, power, and prestige. I had all the money in the world, which gave me all this power. No one could tell me anything. And the prestige of being a starting NFL quarterback, being one of the greatest receivers in the league – you know, gives you, uh, you know, um, you know, carte blanche for you to do what you right. want. And he's simply done it. And I've said this a long ago when I saw a lot of similarities and not in how we played the game, right? He was exception, more exceptionally talented and, and, and better at doing that. But how you deal with life, uh, there are a lot of similarities uh, in, in what my NFL career looked like and where uh, Antonio Brown is right now. And I said this a while ago. I, I, I don't know if he wants to play anymore. He wants – the self-importance and he wants the money and if you're not going to follow in line with him he simply takes what he wants uh and this is just how it plays out you know people are like going oh he better get it figured out no this is how it works out you you go through this process right uh and now he's now he's got a warrant out for his arrest he's being charged with battery and kidnapping and all all the things uh that that exist there and he's going to have a come to jesus moment and then the question is how you deal with it is he going to deal with it in more of a toxic negative way or is he finally going to to um, resolve something in a positive and healthy way? And that's the biggest thing I can say. You all you always have a choice in those moments. And he just clearly over the last year and a half or so has continued to make poor poor choices. I will say this, and it it, it was it was true for me. Coaches and and people who enabled my behavior for the longest time. And you heard the conversation when he was let go, Mike Tomlin said until it becomes a problem, you know, the guy can, you know, the guy produces. Until he stops producing, he, he can, do, can do what he wants. Right. That is the exact, that, that is the definition of enabling behavior. And a lot of people are giving Mike Tomlin a lot of credit for what he had to deal with there uh, in terms of Le- Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. But he contributed to the problem, too, with his enabling of Antonio Brown's behavior. And then when he felt like ultimately that he wasn't producing like he needed to to, to to warrant that kind of behavior, he finally said, "All right, see ya. We're gonna we're gonna get rid of it." So, you know, I, I think Mike Tomlin has has some personal accountability in this, in in particular how it how it played out, um, as like anybody else who has enabled you know these great superstar football players their whole life from you know pee wee football to to playing in the NFL. There's there's contributing factors to that. The fact that they the guy. Uh, yesterday when he went through this process with the police down in Hollywood, Florida, had a, a, a trainer of his with him, you know, being an accomplice in this. There's somebody who continuing to enable his behavior because he's your golden goose. I had three guys that, that 
I probably would have considered family for a long time, cousins back home that just hung around me and completely enabled my behavior. Uh, you know, they, they saw me as the golden goose, the ride didn't matter what happened to me or how it imploded. Uh, you know, they were going to, you know, they were going to continue to enable that behavior. They were yes, men essentially. Right. And when things got bad, they're nowhere to be found. And that's usually the case. And, and we're watching it play out in real time with Antonio Brown right now. The whole Antonio Brown saga continues. No, no better person truly that offers insight more than you, Ryan. I mean, I've listened to, I listened to Skip and Shannon this morning. I listened to Will Kane talk about. It. I don't think that anybody can really sum up this entire situation better than you because you, I mean, you know better than anybody else. Um, and I sure hope maybe he he hears some tidbits and and starts to get the help that he truly needs to get better. Uh, with that being said. We have to take a break, and then we will have Nick Rolovich on. Unfortunately, from that heavy conversation, we're going to lighten the mood a little bit because support of Believe in the Pac-12 comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. A couple of weeks ago, or actually a couple months ago, I went to Italy, and I swam in the Mediterranean Sea. It was a big mistake. For those who don't know, the Mediterranean Ocean pH balance is more acidic because there's more salt. And I did a little bit of manscaping right before I went. Um, and I did nick one of my nether regions. Uh, and when you go into the ocean, when that happens, it is one of the worst pains that you can feel in the groin. So unfortunately for me, I had to go through that. And that's why I am so excited to tell you and for myself to buy the Lawnmower 2.0 by Manscaped. The proprietary skin safe technology on this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Manscaped has the Crop Preserver, an anti chafing deodorant and moisturizer to make sure that you have your hygiene intact down there as well. Start the new year off right by using the best tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping. With the code believe at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping when you use the code believe, B L E A V, at manscaped.com. All right. On the other side, Nick Rolovich, the new head coach of Washington State, joins Ryan and me. A special treat for us here on the Believe in the Pac 12 podcast. We have the new head coach for the Washington State University Cougars, Nick Rolovich. Coach, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today? Uh, great day. Great day to be a Coug. I'm not sure there's any bad days to be a Coug. It's been a, it's been a fun first week. It's been a busy first week, but um, like I was telling Ryan before we started here, it's 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 more special than I than I even imagined. Just the the, the passion, the fan base, the excitement, um, all that is is I'm enjoying being a part of very much. You come from a, a pretty passionate fan base uh, in the uh, Warrior Rainbows, and uh, that probably helps you become the head coach at, the Washington, at Washington State University because of that. You understand how important the culture is, and when you're kind of in a, a niche place like Pullman or over there on the islands, you, you have to understand that it's about bringing everybody in together. Correct. I think that's very important. I'm not sure that that doesn't work at all college football programs, but I think um, that was very important at Hawaii. And the good thing is that's what I like to do. I like everyone to be involved. I like us to be together in this, in this mission. Um, but I, like I said, the, 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 the Coug, Coug nation is, is 
really for the first week is something that's kind of blowing my mind and honored honored to be a part of it and i've enjoyed every minute so far can you give us just a little bit of a of a picture of what this first week has been like you get to pullman and i know that as coaches go i mean when you hit a power five conference it's sort of a whirlwind of media in your ears of administration of players of fans can you just give us a a small picture of what you've been going through this past week in pullman well if i can remember it all i'll try i've just (laughs) been very um impressed with uh the department leadership obviously president schultz was great you know um haven't had you know he was i thought he was excellent at the press conference it's a guy that i i like um working under um i like his style i've been real impressed with pat chun and his team i mean the the support people go the extra mile they understand the the situation um as far as in the beginning uh, a guy like brian blair has been has been wonderful for for myself and, and the staff who's uh, been coming in. But um, I I remember landing in Pullman in the snow. Um, haven't quit smiling since. I really enjoyed getting to know the team, or at least being up in front of the team and us having a just a real dialogue. I know the the, the video that they showed um, was was really just the beginning part, and they wanted to get some for for social media, but. After that, I took the mic off and sent everybody out of the room. I just want the team in here, and I wanted them to to know my story. I wanted them to know that each of them has a story, um, and everyone goes through tough times. If they need to, I'm not here to um, just be their coach. If they need somebody to talk to, or you know, college can be hard. I mean, being a young person is hard, and um, I just wanted them to know that. If, if if they did need somebody like myself and the staff that I'm going to surround them with, um, that's going to be a, a vital point part of uh, or criteria um, to be part of the staff. So I I, I really I, I really was impressed with the the work ethic, you know, um, of the team. The the weight room they they attacked the heck out of that weight room, and, and that gives you a chance. There seems to be a togetherness on the team that I, you know. That's uh, that's really a goal. If we can do this thing together, you know, there's no telling what we can do. But um, everything's been great so far. I know we haven't played a game yet, but we'll have practice. But <laughs> hey. uh, all the signs point to giving us a chance. Hey, people talk about winning the press conference, winning the weight room, winning everything, you know, and you, you've done a tremendous job at that. Out on the recruiting trail here uh, now, you, you spent some time over in Seattle where there's a, a ton of Cougar fans and alumni and, and, and a base and – you know, at the end of the night, the last couple nights, you just said, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, here's Coach Rolo. I'm out out here in your in your hood. Uh, why don't you come by, uh, introduce yourself? I'd love to meet uh, the new family I'm about to be part of." And uh, it, it was really well received, and I think I think a lot of people really appreciated uh, getting getting a chance to know you. But I know you think uh, a, a chance to get to know them. Well, my, my thing is. When we're on campus, or really where you, wherever you are, um, I try to treat everybody uh, with with a high level of respect, um, whether the president Schultz or um, the janitor of the, of the building. I don't think I don't treat anybody different. I know there's incredible supporters whose donations have led to this creation of a, a beautiful facility and 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 all the elements of of the athletic department, you know, but. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, there's Coug fans that that out there that just love the Cougs as much as anybody. 
and I wanted to kind of reach out and see if anybody was in the area. I wanted to kind of test the waters, I guess, because people kept telling me there's so many coos in Seattle. And we uh, we finished a home visit, and I was with assistant coach Gobriel, and I said, I'm going to try something out. And as we're driving back, and Twitter started going with suggestions of where to go, we picked a place, and, you know, an hour later there was 40 people there that uh, just were it – was, it was good to be together, and, and the passion for coos football was pretty evident. Is there an aspect of the last week as this unfolds, Coach, that you're surprised by? I know that obviously landing in snow, flying from Honolulu might be <laughs> a surprise in itself. But I mean, from a football perspective, I think that, you know, the, every every program has its own culture. Every program has its own dynamic. Are you surprised by anything as you now start to undertake this program? Um, the, the number – well, I don't know if it's the number one. But thing, the thing that comes to my mind is um, – People who have been part of the program, in whether it's a player or former coaches, um, have there has been nothing but positive um, uh, memories, thoughts, uh, feelings about the program. I get, I get, I get three kinds of texts. Okay, I get, um, hey, I'd love to be part of your staff. You know, and some numbers I don't have. There's. You're going to love it there. We had a great time there. It was great for our family. You know, it's a real special place. And and then there's, um, you know, my family that just want to check in on me. But that's, that's been the 1,500 texts. I've hmm. kind of sums them all in three categories. But the, the consistency of people and their experience um, in Pullman in, at, at Washington State University has all been very consistent, and, and that excites me. Yeah, the excitement of, of being a Coug is pretty special. There's something about uh, universities in this country, right? It's nowhere else in the world where you decided at 18 years old who you're going to be the rest of your life. And no matter what that is, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a Cougar. And when your name got uh, tossed around, I was you know really excited because I also think I, I interacted with you this year. I, I covered your game versus Nevada, yeah. and, and I got to see how you were with your kids and, and – and to do, and, and I don't want to diminish the talent level at Hawaii at all, but what you did with, you know, it's difficult to recruit there with less talent. You, mm-hmm. you have to be really impressed with the personnel you're going to be able to utilize at Washington State in this conference. Well, that, that's one thing I, you know, I, I said, um, and I, when when I first met the team was, you know, I should have said on paper you are the best group of athletes I've ever been able to coach. Um, because I do believe that instilling belief is the number one thing in these young people to be able to do something great. Um, like uh, they told us we were going to be so bad at why we never do this, never do that. And, and as long as you keep the circle tight and, and stay focused on your mission, put the mission first in every step you of your day, whether it's in the classroom or the community, at practice, um, and and just believe in each other and, and yourself. You know, it, it, it's a it's a game. They get eleven, we get eleven. The size is the same, and, and the ball is funny shape. And sometimes it bounces your way. And when you when you have passion for each other and and the mission, you know that ball kind of bounces your way. And there were many games in Hawaii that came down to the last play, last drive, last whatever. And it I. I I strongly feel that it was just the, the overall belief in the in the team goal 
that pulled us through in those moments. I thought we won a bunch of close games, and it's only because of the character um, of, of the players and, and the coaches that, that helped kind of uh, guide them. I want to bring up the, the goal idea here for a sec, Coach. I think or I have this thing with the media, and I'm sure that you can – empathize because you've been in the coaching rinks for quite some time that we like to insert goals into programs without really having sort of a a background of of what we're saying so you know every program in the Pac-12 their goal is to win the Rose Bowl or to win their conference like obviously that's a goal but I want to hear from you coach what your personal goals are for Washington State in your first year uh, in Pullman Uh, well in general I want to my overall goal in any job that I've decided to take is to um, if there's a time when I leave it, and there, there's always a time when people when change happens, I want to leave it better than than I found it. And I found this place at a at, at a real high level. I understand the record wasn't what everyone wanted last year, um, but to me, um, and and that's a, a complete um, whole picture of, of the program and, and the fans and the community. But the the Apple Cup's very important to me. I know it's not as important as some people who have played in it or been fans for, for years and years and years. But I, that was one of the attractive things is having a real rivalry game for me coming to, coming to work at Washington state. Um, and, you know, I look at the history, you know, obviously Ryan, right. But, but it's been over a hundred years since winning the Rose bowl. And I understand there's a lot of steps on that way, but I, I don't, people can laugh at me. I don't read anything. So people can write whatever they want about me. That doesn't bother me. Um, but my goal is, is to get this program to a place where, um, you know, I got to call a dentist to pick the thorns out of these guys' teeth after the season because they're chewing on roses. That's my goal. <laughs> I, I, I liked it. Um, I love when the announcement was made, you know, um, you know, full disclosure to everybody out there listening, I, I was able to, to, to talk to Coach Rolo, and I, I, I made those things really specific to him. Hey, what was really important for me uh, at a time where we were – you know, fighting and playing in a Rose Bowl was the Apple Cup was important. Uh, the the history of our program, the likes of Drew Bledsoe, he was a guy that I just looked up to immensely and I wanted to be just like. And uh, the idea of playing in a Rose Bowl. Uh, I sent you a video that ESPN did with me this year. Uh, oh, talking that's an awesome to, video. I can't oh, wait to show the team that one. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was important, you know. And when Coach Price would take that out of the locker room for me, uh, it was a superimposed photo of Washington State in the Rose Bowl at the end of the end at the end zone like that, it's going to be special for you guys too. So um, I wish you all the best of luck. I'm really really pleased that uh, you are a Cougar and part of my family now. And hey, thanks for taking some time to do our little old podcast here while you're out on the road trying to make the team better. Well, I'm, I'm honored to be part of the team, and uh, like I said, I, well, I I'm not a good liar. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I think. Um, and and I and I believe these kids can do great things as long as we kind of rally together um, and eliminate the selfishness and understand who we're playing, especially you, your teammates, everyone that came before you. I, I really, I truly believe that if you put some emphasis on the history of the program and the bricks that were laid, you know, you didn't have that building. The building stuff doesn't matter. People matter, and people win football games. Um, but they need to re- – I'm going to be pissed if – because that building is beautiful. If if I see dirty lockers or them throwing trash on the – you know, all that stuff is really bothersome to me because, you know, they need to understand how fortunate they are to come into the program at this time. 
and all of the um, elements of, of a high-level program are there. I know we're trying on the indoor still, but other than that, there's, there's no reason to – and I think that's disrespectful to everyone who, you know, played for the Cougs throughout, throughout history, you know. And, and to me, I, I, I just honestly truly believe that, that that makes a difference in how kids prepare if they understand and respect um, the history. They don't need to know every stat, every this, but um, at least understanding that they are not the center of the universe for Washington State football. They are right now, but they have to respect what's come before them. Well, I I appreciate it greatly, and keep working your tail off. Go Cougs. Hey, that's, that's all we can do. Go Cougs. We'll talk to you guys soon. Go Kooks. Thanks, Coach. We appreciate it. Good luck. Welcome to the Pac-12. We're excited to have you, and we look forward to seeing uh, what happens in the forthcoming years with you here. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. That was Washington State head coach Nick Rolovich, and that about wraps it up for everybody who made our podcast possible. Special thanks to you, the listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe across all listening platforms. Ryan and I will be back next week. We are going to do a double dose. We will have a basketball podcast. Yes, the inaugural Believe in the Pac-12 basketball podcast next week. We also may have a special guest football style as well. But until then, for ESPN's Ryan Leap, my name is Jonathan Rifkin signing off. This has been another edition of Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.